Good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome back to the Oxford Vineyard live stream um, and week three of our series, As You Go. Uh, this series is focusing on the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 7, and 8, um, and how they apply to our lives. So what I want to do is, before we go any further, I'm just going to read that verse to you. It says, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. So for the last two weeks, um, John has introduced this idea and he's talked about healing prayer. He's talked about the fact that this ministry of Jesus is open for all of us to participate in um, and, and to join him in kind of in the day-to-day. Um, that's the whole idea behind calling this series As You Go is that Jesus intended for his followers to be doing these things as they went, as they went about their uh, day-to-day lives and they uh, continued in their vocations and, um, and, and just to pick up the, the work of healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, casting out demons, um, but also the work of proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so that's the part that I'm going to focus on today. Um, we're going to go into that in great detail, each part of that phrase and and just what that means. So um, I'm just going to go ahead and pray and we'll dive right in. So Holy Spirit, I thank you for um, what you're doing in our midst now. God, I thank you for the opportunity to just dive into your word. And Jesus, I ask that you would meet us this morning, meet me um, and anybody watching this stream, anybody watching after the fact, God, that you would just teach us something new about yourself You'd lead us deeper into relationship with you, and um, God, that your presence would move among us, that you would be uh, doing powerful things even during the teaching, during the worship today. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. So um, I want to look at kind of what Jesus is first instructing us to do here. He says, proclaim, and some translations use the word preach. The Greek word there is actually a word that more specifically means herald. And I don't know about you, but the word herald makes me think of the Christmas song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I always wondered to myself as a kid, like, who on earth is herald and why does he matter so much? Like, why is he such a critical part of this song? You know, we're singing about herald, but he doesn't even show up in the Bible, um, but joking aside, I'm, <clears throat> I'm sure that you understand this word much better than I did as a kid. So, um, right, a herald is an, a, an official messenger bringing good news. So uh, this was a government position in ancient Greece. So before Rome, before Jesus, uh, hundreds of years uh, BCE, and this was a person who was kind of designated to make announcements on behalf of the king or the city government. And so they would be making announcements to an entire city. They would run out into the city square and they would begin to, um, to make these announcements. And uh, this person would rely on the strength of their voice as well as the significance of what they had to say, the authority that was behind the announcement that they were making. And so I know... You know, many of you know that I, I like to read. Uh, I read a lot, and at one point in my life, I thought it would be a good idea to read the Iliad, and it was a terrible idea. It's a terribly boring book. Uh, it's very, very long, and it's very hard to read, and so I don't recommend that you read it. Uh, but 
While I was thinking about this idea of heralding, something came to my mind from that book, and one of the minor characters, Stentor, um, was a herald. And so Homer describes his voice in the Iliad as, as powerful as the voices of 50 other men. And so if that gives you some idea about how heralds were understood in the ancient world, uh, you know, they were, they were loud, they were making these important announcements, and I would argue that anyone can be loud. Um, the reason that folks listened to the herald was because of the weight of what they were saying, because of the authority behind the, the, the announcements that they were making. And the heralds of ancient Greece certainly believed that what they had to say was important, right? They were carrying uh, orders from the most powerful leader in the land and communicating them to the people. And so to herald uh, actually has a couple of definitions when you look it up. It can be a noun, um, like what I just described to you, or a verb. So the first one, as you might expect, is, a, is an official messenger bringing news. And so, you know, when we discuss in, in that context, someone coming out into the town square and making an announcement, they are the herald. But there's also, it can be used as a verb, to herald. And what that means, uh, this really caught my eye when I was looking at these definitions. It means it's a person or thing viewed as a sign that something is about to happen. It's a person or thing viewed as a sign that something is about to happen. So the herald would bring news, but they specifically brought news that the king or the emperor was getting ready to do something, that there was about to be action on the part of the authority um, that, that was commissioning them to speak. And so let that sink in for a second. When Jesus instructs us to preach or to proclaim, it's actually to announce that something is about to happen. And I know many of you, like me, have listened to a great deal of preaching in your lives. And I, I'm going to be honest, I think a very small percentage of the preaching that I've listened to has actually been announcing that something is about to happen. I don't think that we are uh, quite heralding the gospel the way that Jesus would have us do it, the way that he describes it here. And, and that word means the same thing. Every time Jesus says to preach in the New Testament, he's saying to herald, to let people know that something's about to happen. Um, so when Jesus is saying to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's actually telling his followers to proclaim this, that God's presence and his reign are close at hand, and because of that fact, something is about to happen. So one of the reasons that I think people get so nervous about this idea of the activity of God or manifestations of the Holy Spirit um, and, and the proclamation of the kingdom of heaven is at hand is because we fall into one of the following five camps. So I kind of borrowed these points from uh, a sermon by Rich Nathan from February 2018. Um, called It's called Called to Preach the Good News. And so you can go back and listen to it if you want to. It's probably still on Vineyard Columbus's website. Uh, but the five points are these. These are the things that are, that are holding us back from proclaiming the gospel the way that Jesus says we should. Number one, we don't believe what we claim to believe. Number two, we don't believe that people really need God. Number three, we don't believe the good news is really true. Number four, we don't believe the logic of taking a risk on God. 
And number five, we don't believe that we can actually make a difference. Now, I don't think these are things that we would say we believe, but we definitely show that we believe these things with our actions at times. So when I read through this list, I would never say that, that I don't believe what I claim to believe, or I don't believe that people really need God. But my actions show that from time to time. And so I would encourage you to just uh, examine within yourself, you know, where have my actions showed that maybe I don't believe the logic of taking a risk on God? Um, so in my opinion, all these things boil down to one problem. John Wimber said it like this, and, and I, I really like this. God is eager to hold up his end of the bargain, but for some reason it doesn't feel quite true to us, or it doesn't feel quite real to us, that God is so excited to actually show up when we herald the kingdom. Uh, we've got to start to figure out why we're believing that lie. Because the, the primary thing before the assignment to do the work of healing is to get in touch with the reality that we want the presence of God. We want to worship God. We want to be near him. We want to uh, learn more about him. We want to encounter him. And um, then healing is a byproduct of that. Healing is a byproduct of the presence of God and closeness with Jesus. And I think John said this earlier in the series, the first two weeks, but our purpose is to seek the healer, not the healing. I think that that's such a great uh, piece of advice because when we get caught up in running after supernatural phenomena, um, you know, that's, that's just not the point. That's not the goal of anything that Jesus had to say to us. And so what we want is Jesus. And some of those things just happen in his presence. So I want to take a minute to plug the new podcast that's coming out really soon. Uh, this past Friday, I sat down with three Oxford Vineyard members who I personally really felt like uh, just embody this idea of doing these things as they go. And we had a conversation about uh, this subject, really. We, we were talking in great depth about uh, the presence of God and how that applies to living this verse out. So keep your eyes peeled for that podcast to come out. Listen to it as many times as you can. Share it with your friends. Subscribe to Oxford Vineyard Church Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Um, but anyway, enough of that. I think uh, our conversation provided some fantastic insights into this idea of uh, the presence of God and bringing the kingdom. And I, I actually talk very little in that podcast. So if you're tired of hearing from me, uh, you get to hear from three new people who um, I'll keep their identities concealed. And you'll have to listen to the podcast to find out who they are. So... Uh, to herald the kingdom is to understand that when we say that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we actually believe that something is going to happen. When we say that with our mouth, we believe that the power of God is behind that and something will actually happen, uh, something tangible that we can see. And I believe that a right understanding of the power of God is actually a birthright of the vineyard movement. Um, and I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the vineyard is the only corner of the Christian world that has a right understanding of the power of God. And I'm not saying that the vineyard has never gotten it wrong. But what I am saying is that there's grace on us to move in this stuff. And so if you've been with us for a long time, you know, if you're just dropping in on this stream and you've never heard anything about the vineyard and you don't know much about this stuff, well, let me just tell you, I think that there is uh, an open door to us 
to, to enter into these things because of the heritage and because of the people who have gone before us and, uh, and their commitment to the Lord and what that's looked like. So I had the opportunity this week while I was preparing for this talk to actually go back and listen to John Wimber's Signs and Wonders Conference from 1985. And uh, for those of you who might not know, John Wimber founded the Vineyard Movement. And something that he said struck me. John said, wherever God is, the gospel needs to be preached. And wherever the gospel is being preached, God needs to be. And I think that what John was getting at was this, that in the West over the past thousands of years, you know, give or take, I mean, really since the first few centuries, we have divorced God's power from the heralding of the kingdom. And that's really the point of what I want to get at today, is that we have got to marry the power of God back to the proclamation of the gospel. When we preach the gospel, when we preach the kingdom, the power of God has to be there. And in my study this week, I kind of unearthed something interesting to me. Uh, to be a herald of the kingdom means we're letting folks know that something is about to happen, right? Well, every time that Jesus uses that word preach or proclaim to herald, in the New Testament, with two exceptions, extra credit for anybody who finds them and sends them to me, uh, it is immediately followed by an instruction to pray for healing or deliverance. And man, there is so much preaching that is not accompanied by the ministry of healing. There's so much preaching these days that is not accompanied by you know, the casting out of demons, the, the cleansing of lepers. And um, I just want to encourage you, like, when, when the gospel is preached, there should be power behind that. That's what Jesus is saying. That's why every time he says the word preach, he gives an instruction following that of, of what it should look like when we say that something is about to happen. So the next natural question for me is, you know, how do we partner with the presence and the power of God? Is something supposed to happen when we pray? And um, how does that work? So when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of heaven, he always says it's at hand. It's close at hand. It's close enough to touch. Um, we have to grasp just what is the kingdom of heaven. We, we have to have that solid in our minds before we can move forward. So we've gone over and over this at Oxford Vineyard. Uh, but the kingdom of heaven is not a place. It's not heaven itself. It's not the church. Uh, the kingdom of heaven actually describes the rule and reign of God. The kingdom of heaven, put very simply, is uh, when God is in charge. I actually like to think of it as almost as a time. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is when God is executing his rule. Something that is really important uh, in the vineyard is, is understanding this idea of the already and the not yet. And we've talked about that a lot. Um, <clears throat> but really what we're saying here is that sometimes the kingdom is more evident. So when we say the kingdom is at hand, boom, you know, something awesome happens. Somebody gets healed uh, instantaneously or somebody has an encounter with God. And other times it feels a little bit like it might be on hold. Like that truth that the kingdom is at hand doesn't feel quite the same. It doesn't seem quite as tangible. Um, but I've, I've recommended it before, and you know I think this is probably the third time. So if you haven't bought this book yet and read it, um, you really should. 
if you're interested in this idea of the already and the not yet and just understanding how to navigate all of that, I strongly advise that you read Slow Kingdom Coming by Kent Anon. Um, I, would, I would love it if every person in our church had read that book because I think it gives us a great framework for you know, what happens when we're in this, this not yet time and how do we deal with that? How do we cope with that? Um, one of the reasons that it's even necessary to talk about the power of God is because there is another kingdom at play. There's another power at play, the kingdom of the Satan. Uh, so the Satan is a spiritual force which imposes its own will on the world, and this is a negative and dark will. And one of the most important things that we have to remember in a conversation about um, the power of God is that God has chosen to limit himself through human beings. And, you know, this is something that I think people lose sight of, that God chose to limit himself through partnership with human beings. Because, you know, we get into these conversations about the power of God and the sovereignty of God and why did this happen and why didn't this happen? And we lose sight of the fact that, um, yes, it's true that God is powerful and, and God is sovereign, but God chose to limit his sovereignty through people. And that's why Jesus is so important, because there was actually no way for God to redeem the world but through a human being, because he was limited through human beings. And of course, the only human being that could bear the responsibility of that task was God himself in human form. Um, so he turns the whole thing on its head, and, and, and it's amazing. But the reason that I'm saying all this is because, you know, we have got to grasp that the kingdom of heaven is, is light, is goodness, is the goodness of God. And there is another will that's being imposed on people coming from the kingdom of, of the Satan. And so that means that the work that we're doing is to advance the kingdom of heaven against the kingdom of darkness and to displace darkness with light. So check this out. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So if we're going to enter into the healing ministry of Jesus, right, if, we're, if we really want to partner with Jesus' power to restore people and to restore their lives um, to its fullest possible extent, we've got to get in touch with this understanding of God. I mean, you know, there is zero variation or shadow due to change in God's character. Not one bit. And, and I hear you, you know, when you're saying, but the Old Testament and you know, the New Testament, and how do, I, how do I juggle those things? Well, that's a journey. We're all on that journey. We're all walking that out. But what I'm saying to you right now is that, you know, Hebrews explains that Jesus is the perfect imprint of the nature of God. Therefore, there is zero variation from the character of Jesus in the nature of God. And so if you look at something and you say, I just can't imagine Jesus doing that then he's probably not. Because, you see, we have this, in the Old Testament, we have an obscured picture of God. We have to look at God through the law. And when Jesus comes, we don't have to look at Jesus through the law anymore. He's right in front of us. He's, he's doing works and he's teaching, and we can see his character. We can see his nature. And so we don't have to speculate about the nature of God anymore. And so, the reason I'm saying all this is because we can't 
We, we have to come at this from a place of understanding how good God is. And we can't afford to blame God for the work of the enemy because that makes the God that we represent look bad. So where there's sickness, where there's death, where there's coronavirus, where there's destruction, where there's theft, um, we can't afford to put those things on God. So I want to challenge you now with a quote uh, from David Bentley Hart's The Doors of the Sea. And just as a disclaimer, I do not agree with all of Hart's theology. I don't agree with everything he says. So I know some of you are going to Google him and, and look into, you know, what he's all about. And well, I agree with this quote. That's, that's where we're coming at this from today. So I'm going to read you this quote, and this is just to challenge our thinking. So he says, if indeed there was a God whose true nature, whose true justice or sovereignty were revealed in the death of a child or the dereliction of a soul or a predestined hell, then it would be no transgression to think of him as a kind of malevolent or contemptible demiurge, to hate him, to deny him worship, and to seek a better God than he. So what's David Hart saying here? I think what David Hart is saying here is that, look, when we attribute these dark, evil things to God, it's not a signpost to God. It doesn't point people to God. And I'm, I'm going to return to that later, but we have got to be proclaiming the kingdom in a way that turns people's hearts toward Jesus, where they look at what God has done and, and they're awestruck by the great, the great nature of who God is. And we absolutely make the mistake of looking at the work of the enemy and saying that was God. And I think what David Hart is saying is that turns people away. And so I just want to encourage you, be really careful about that. You know, I need to be careful about that. We all need to be careful about that because the truth is, you know, we're heralds of heaven. We're ambassadors of heaven, and we are representing God in the earth when we, um, when we say that something is his, that he did something. And so, you know, folks see that, and, and they make a judgment. And so, you know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means that the saving power of God, the same power for healing, uh, is also close enough to touch. And that is the power from which we operate, and none other. Right? We operate from the place of looking at the restorative works that Jesus did and partnering with him in those. This is the power that makes the last first and the first last, that causes the meek to inherit the earth, uh, that comes to reconcile hearts to heaven, minds, bodies to heaven. Uh, this is the power that is made perfect in our weakness. And so I think, you know, one way of understanding the problem of these doubts is actually through the lens of citizenship. So if we want to get at like, you know, why don't we believe those things that I listed off earlier? Why don't those always come through in our actions? And, and why is it hard for us sometimes to partner with the power of God? Um, I think it might actually have something to do with how we understand our citizenship. So all over the New Testament, uh, it's explained to us that we're not citizens of this world, right? We're citizens, uh, we're, we are, we're in the world, not of the world. We're citizens of a different kingdom. And I want to propose to you today that that fact, the fact that we are citizens of a different kingdom, uh, is not real enough to us. It's not real enough to me, and it's not real enough to you. We don't grasp that. 
In Matthew's gospel, when Jesus is being questioned by Pilate, this is what he says. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. And again, in 1 Peter, we see believers referred to as sojourners and exiles in the world. That's 1 Peter 2.11. In Ephesians, uh, Paul writes this. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So what Paul is saying to the Gentiles here in, in Ephesus is that separate from the kingdom of God, they are indeed strangers, aliens, immigrants, exiles. Uh, but because of Jesus, they're no longer considered those things. And so really, all this talk about citizenship, the point that I'm trying to make is this. Do you consider yourself primarily a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Or since I'm assuming that everybody listening to this lives in the United States, primarily a citizen of the United States of America? See, the kingdom of heaven, we see it when, when something happens. We see it when something manifests. But it's really, it's a challenging thing to think of ourselves primarily, A, number one, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, rather than, you know, the, the geographic place where we live. See, in the beginning of Christianity, when folks made the decision to follow Jesus, they were making a power decision. They were actually making a decision that determined whose power and authority they were going to access and by what means they would have power and authority. That's why Jesus describes this upside-down kingdom. He describes a kingdom where you know, the, the first will be last and the last will be first because it's a different power structure. And I think that you know, the church in America as an institution, speaking widely, is that uh, it's been wedded to our systems of political and economic power for so long that we don't think about the gospel like that. And we're not encouraged to think about the gospel like that. Um, but I want to challenge you just to consider that as a new perspective. And maybe that's really provocative to you. You know, maybe that stirs something up inside of you and you're, you're already writing me an email right now. But what I'm saying is that just consider this. Just consider what was going through the minds of the earliest followers of Jesus because Roman citizens in the time of Jesus called Caesar Lord. And when someone made the confession that Jesus was Lord in their life, they were by default making the confession that Caesar was no longer Lord of their life. See, this is, this is the interesting thing about making Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. The Savior part really kind of manifests itself in eternity, in the next life. The Lord part is the part that is evidenced here and now. So some folks have made Jesus Savior and not Lord. When we make Jesus Lord of our life, we're confessing he's in charge of our lives here on the earth now. He calls the shots. So when, when Romans were, were making this decision to follow Jesus, they're saying, we're no longer servants of Caesar. His way of doing things is no longer our way of doing things. The way that he accesses power is not the way that we access power anymore. And so that's why the five points that I made to you earlier um, about what we don't really seem to believe, I think are questions of citizenship. Because, you know, we've got to trust that we are really citizens of heaven and, and we're really under the jurisdiction of God. Do you trust 
that you actually have access to authority as a citizen of a different kingdom. I'm asking you that because that's not always real in my life. And, and I want us to move to a place where that becomes more and more evident in our lives. That all of our power and authority, we're accessing that through the kingdom of heaven. You know, every, we, we completely believe that we are under the jurisdiction of God. And to continue that analogy, I just, this is something that has helped me understand this. And I hope it helps you understand this because it's brought a lot of clarity in my mind. As someone who is legally a citizen of the United States, uh, there are certain protections that I have in a foreign country. So if I were to end up in a compromised situation, there are always embassies that I can turn to in order to help me with whatever difficulty I find myself in. And those at the embassy will advocate for a U.S. citizen in that particular foreign nation. So just because I'm a citizen, they are actually expected to go to bat for me. And as a citizen of the kingdom of God, right, my protections and my privileges are actually immeasurably greater than, than you know, the weak worldly rights that we claim through being citizens of the United States. Um, when Jesus tells us to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's calling us heralds of a different rule, right? So we're not proclaiming the rule of, of the, the nation that we live in anymore. We're pro proclaiming the rule of the kingdom of heaven. And I would challenge you to think that there is no overlap there. I'm a huge both and guy. Um, I, I love to tell people close to me, you know, that I want to search for the radical middle, right? That's a big vineyard thing. It, you know, just there's two issues and one's extreme this way, one's extreme that way. And the right answer is probably right down the middle. But I'm here to tell you today that if you do not grasp this idea that your most important citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven um, and not in the ways of the worldly nation that you live in, we've missed a core tenet of Jesus' teaching. And I've operated this way at times. It's hard to trust the power of the kingdom of heaven when we can't always see it or when it sometimes feels delayed, right? But it was, it was a pick one situation for the people who started following Jesus um, when, when he kind of kicked off this movement that's lasted until today, right? He was saying, who's it going to be, me or Caesar? And if we start understanding the kingdom in those terms, I think the church could see some incredible fruit come out of that. If we really get in touch with what's our power source, right? Where is our authority coming from? We are agents of heaven in a foreign land. Think about it that way. You know, we're, we're heralds. We, when we call in the name of Jesus, the embassy of the power of God goes to bat for us, right? He is our authority. He's the one backing us up. And so remember what I said earlier about God being eager to hold up his end of the bargain, but for some reason it doesn't feel quite true to us. That's what I'm trying to get at here is that, you know, God has set up this system where we have the ability as ambassadors of his kingdom to access his power. And for some reason, it just doesn't really seem like that's what he wants sometimes, you know? And so if we meditate on this idea that we are truly citizens of another kingdom, I think it'll become more real to us. So what I'm going to do is those five things that I listed earlier, I'm just going to turn them upside down. This isn't Rich, Rich Nathan's thing. This is just, I just did this because 
what I want to do is I want us to see what that authority of God can do to empower uh, kind of the, the opposite of some of those negative things that I read off to you earlier. So number one, we must believe what we claim to believe, that the power of God is absolutely, as Romans 1.16 says, unto uh, sozo, right? That is salvation and healing. Your Bible probably says salvation. The Greek word there is sozo, which means salvation and healing. Uh, but we're going to talk way more about that next week. So just stay tuned for that. Uh, number two, we must believe that people really need the restorative power of God in their lives for healing to come to their minds, bodies, and spirits. What I said earlier about these things being um, manifested in our actions, right? I wouldn't say that I don't believe that, but my actions say that I don't believe that. It's really easy for me to look at comfortable, well-to-do, you know, middle-class people who on the surface don't seem to have any problems with their lives, and my actions say that I don't believe they need the restorative power of God in their lives because I look at them and, and I don't see that they have a cast on and I don't see that they're living in Section 8 housing and I don't see that uh, they don't have enough food. And so it's easy for me with my actions not to bring the urgency of the kingdom of heaven into that situation. Number three, we need to believe the good news of Jesus is true that he's been raised from the dead, and that the resurrection power that he releases is available to everyone in the kingdom, lives inside of us. Get in touch with your power source. Number four, taking a risk on God makes sense because we are ambassadors of the kingdom and his embassy presence will go to bat for us. We have to have trust inside of ourselves that that's a reality, that, that it is really true that when we take a risk for God, his authority is the one backing us up. Not our own, not, not some other entity. God's authority is the one that is empowering our ministry and empowering our actions. And number five, we can actually make a difference when we partner with the power of God. Again, this is just believing that these things are actually true, right? Saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand and believing that something is actually about to happen. So all of these things, right? I mentioned earlier healing being a signpost to God and the fact that we can display God's nature, that that is actually a sign that points people toward God. I firmly believe that you can't um, talk people into heaven. I've tried, I actually tried last week to talk somebody into heaven and it didn't really work. Somebody came to me and they started asking me some questions about uh, about heaven and, you know, who's saved and who's this and who's that. And it's like everything that I know just completely left my mind in that moment. And I tried to talk him into it. And, and it was stupid. I looked dumb. And, and of course, nothing happened because I was relying on my own intellect. And I was trying to talk this guy into heaven. And I firmly believe that if I had just taken a moment and stopped and asked the Holy Spirit for a word of knowledge about him or asked him if there was a miracle that God could do in his life or something other than trying to talk him into heaven, uh, the power of God would have shown up, right? He would have backed me up because he's eager to do so. And so if you look at evangelism events in the New Testament, every time people come to God, um, healing is almost always involved, almost always involved. Somebody gets healed, people find out, people see and then they come to Jesus. And 
something, something that I already mentioned that we're going to talk about next week is this Greek word sozo. But this word throughout the New Testament is translated both healing and salvation. So the healing that they're talking about goes far beyond the physical healing that we're referring to in a lot of these stories that you're hearing in the series. This healing and salvation power of God is intended to touch our physical bodies, our minds, and our spirits. And so, you know, we've got to believe that the, the rational side of things, right, the proclaiming of the kingdom, when we teach the Bible, when we preach the gospel, and the transrational side of things, the, uh, the supernatural power of God, they have to be connected, right? There's no way that we can separate those things from each other and see fruit in bringing people to Jesus. Healing is a signpost to point people to God. It's an authority that we exercise because it exemplifies the authority of heaven that propels all of us forward, right? It gives people something that they can see. So when we talk about God, it's awesome when we can also show them God. And, you know, I like to tell people that I'm allergic to hype and um, conspiracy theories, and I don't gravitate toward anything like ecstatic or sensational uh, I really like things boring. Like, I just like to keep it simple and, you know. But the first time I ever witnessed somebody supernaturally healed, I could never turn away from the reality of what I saw. And so just as an encouragement, if you're listening to this and you're somebody who might say, I hear you, but I don't know about all this. I don't know about this power of God, supernatural healing stuff. Let me tell you, coming from somebody who's slow to believe anything like that. Um, This changes everything. It absolutely changes everything. And so I want to put a challenge forward to everybody who's listening to this, whether it's live this Sunday morning or after the fact, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit what he wants you to do about it, because I believe that he has an assignment for each of us. There's a unique way that as you go, Each of us is intended to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand and believe that the power of God is what's backing us up, that God is actually excited uh, to come through and show himself to people. And so, you know, maybe you're still quarantined at home and you might not even leave the house for the next seven days, but I still think there are ways that you can proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, maybe you're starting to re-enter life and uh, things, are, things are starting to ramp up for you again. And I really hope that it's not because you feel threatened or because you feel uh, anxious or angry. But if that's the case, you know, everywhere you go, ask Holy Spirit, how can we usher in the kingdom? With every person that you interact with, with your family members, in your personal private prayer, right? Believe that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and that the power of God is coming to back you up. And maybe you're in a field where nothing has slowed down for you at all, and it's actually more intense. Maybe you're in a healthcare field, or you're a service worker, and uh, nothing, nothing stopped. I would encourage you, you know, especially you, because you're going to be in environments where they're tense. You know, people, are, people are afraid. People are stressed. The power of God can wipe those things away. God can meet people in that place and draw them to himself in such a powerful way. And so 
with all that, I just want to pray for you guys um, and, and for myself, for all of us, to walk in this stuff as we go and, and really to grasp that the proclaiming of the kingdom and the demonstrating of the kingdom belong together. So Holy Spirit, I just invite you right now uh, just for a fresh empowerment, for a fresh baptism on anybody who's watching this. God, that you would uh, send us out into the fields, that you would send us out uh, into our workplaces, that, that we would carry your kingdom authority, that we would truly be ambassadors and heralds of your kingdom and, and no other kingdom. God, that you have empowered us to carry this message of your power that comes and backs us up, your power that comes and draws people to yourself when we proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I just pray for empowerment and I pray for grace for anyone who wants to walk deeper into this, to just take the first step or to continue walking deeper into this if you already have been and you're on that journey. And I just bless you. I pray for grace and peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.